What's going on, everybody? This is Mitch from RespectMoreReason.com, back with another episode of the RMR Podcast. Today, I'm joined by special guest Andrew Muir of Top Shelf Bud Tending. How are we doing today, Andrew? What's up, man? It's uh, fantastic to be here. I've been following you guys forever. It looks like, what is this, episode 37? Yep. Crushing it. <laughs> episode 37 of this podcast i've got quite a bit of podcasts under my belt with some of the other stuff and we have a couple of other shows this this one was rolling and we put it on pause to do something else did like 70 episodes of that and now we're back back pushing the main podcast on the channel that's huge man that's huge well thank you for having me along i really appreciate it and i know uh you guys have been traveling everywhere crushing it so it's uh it's an honor to be here Thank you. Likewise. And like I was just telling you right before we started, I was, you know, I was doing a little research. I was, I was looking up some of the stuff you were tagged in on Instagram and I saw myself in one of the videos and I was like, Oh, that's me. Um, so it's, it's, I, I, and I remember seeing the brand there and I remember, I think I had a brief conversation with you. I know Joey, I think talked more, but I remember, and like all these dots started connecting. I was like, that's where I, I mean, I know you from quite a few places, but that's one where I personally, uh, know you and the brand from was the Grasslands party at MJ BizCon in was it December November? I don't know. Just last December, I think. Yeah, 2021. Okay. If you've been to a party on the, the the West Coast that involves cannabis in some form or another, I'm sure I've seen you there. <laughs> been doing it a little while. Yeah, and that was a cool. I liked that event, that Grasslands one. I was just with uh, Ricardo and John from from Grasslands in, in New York uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, and I was giving them props for that party. Man, it was uh, good food. They, 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 the you know you guys were running the cannabis bar. There was the actual bar, and then the food. They had like multiple choices of these like you know COVID friendly like pre packaged boxes. Yep. And me being the stoner I am, you know, I think I tried like all four, four off of the food options. Um, it was a dope party. Yeah, it was. Uh, it kind of had that like backyard, you know, barbecue friend type of vibe. I like a lot. It's uh, you know not too pretentious, which during BizCon is what a lot of us need. So that's why yes. I like their parties a lot, man. It's kind of really just coming together and, and enjoying a little bit of cannabis, having good food, and of course it was COVID safe. So the uh, the sanitation nerd in me went nuts with that. So that was good. Yeah, and I, I so something I've noticed about you and the brand. We we can get into that a little bit, but I know mm -hmm. that's been even pre-COVID been a big a big part of your brand, um, not just from the appearance, but just from how you operate in your mindset. But I'm gonna take it. You know how I have every how I kick off this with every guest is I talk about their history around the plant, the plant being cannabis. Um, so I'm just kind of curious your your origin story around cannabis, kind of personally and professionally. Yeah, so um, I guess with cannabis itself. I was originally living in Ohio uh, during college, started using cannabis then. I wasn't an early riser to cannabis. You know, I wasn't using cannabis all through uh, my teen years. I grew up in a super small town of like 500 people in Ohio. And, you know, my parents would know exactly when I smoked and they were kept a kind of tight clamp on me. So I was a really good kid all the way up until, you know, 21. And then I started drinking and then I started branching out into cannabis instead because I was having a lot of anxiety issues. And um, the doctors prescribed me Xanax, Zoloft, all the really nasty uh, benzodiazepines. And they were really starting to kind of mess with uh, how I was operating day to day, how I felt. So I weaned off of those and started just uh, smoking uh, to, to take the edge off. And I started watching tons of documentaries about cannabis. And I was like, I really need to get involved in the industry and change somebody's life. So I moved to Denver, Colorado. And uh, right, right when um, the 
adult use was coming on. And I started working in medical facilities, uh, medical dispensaries, where we were uh, selling cannabis to patients and kind of got started on the medical side and, and was there to help people. And I think that you know, a lot of that nowadays is kind of lost. You know, we don't really take into consideration the the patients or cannabis as medicine anymore in that way. So um, I kind of fell into the the hospitality side of cannabis with my current business um, by going to a couple parties in Denver in the early like 2014s. Uh, I noticed that there were people kind of hanging out and congregating and trying products, but there was nobody serving and nobody educating about the products that they were ingesting, nobody cleaning anything. It was kind of gross. So I was like, all right, there's an opportunity here for building a business around this and um, bringing everybody together with cannabis, but also, you know, making sure it's compliant, making sure it's safe, making sure people are actually taken care of, and then um, integrating those, those those hospitality pillars into what we do in cannabis. So, you know, from like, you know, 2015 until now, man, it's what we've, what we've stood for. And it's, it's all been, uh, all been pretty, uh, it's been a pretty long ride and I feel that it, it's coming along. We're starting to really value these things now. And I've been doing it for such a long time that it was just a standard procedure, but now we're starting to see, um, cities, states, and other companies really kind of um, jumping on board with uh, kind of the, the ethos that we've had for as long as we've had. So it's been cool. Awesome. And, and what what year did you start the, the, the company, the brand Top Shelf Buttending? So officially, if you go back and look at our LLC paperwork in Colorado, uh, 2015 was when the business okay. officially started. Uh, so been doing it for a while. Um, and really, you know, a couple of years in cannabis, you know, feels like 10 or 20 in, in other industries. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's an, it's an honor to do what I do and have been doing it for so long. But at the same time, um, there's a lot of things I've learned, too. Like, man, we would have dab rigs set up that people would be dabbing off of. And I would have just a table sitting there with dab rigs on it and people would be lining up back and forth or, you know, back to back on the same rig. And I would clean the outside of it and change the water. And there was something that still just didn't feel right. And now, um, you know, with COVID and everything else going on, I've essentially uh, cut out some of those older services that weren't as sanitary. And there's a lot of stuff we've learned from it, right? Um, some of those older practices we have to change and be updated with the science and be updated with what the, the consumers are wanting. So we've moved towards more products and um, consumption types that are sanitary and a lot easier to serve uh, single serve and single use products, which is really good for us to learn early because we're start starting to see that type of trend within um, the lounges now where they're only allowing single serve products, uh, yeah. limited sharing devices that have to be cleaned heavily between each guest. You know, um, when you go into a bar, right, a regular bar, uh, they don't give you a chalice where everybody else is drinking out of it with your shot in it, right? Not everybody uses the same cup and that's disgusting. People don't want to do that. So I started thinking about the same way with dab rigs, right? People don't want to keep using the same rig or the same piece. And, you know, in cannabis, we look at it as kind of like a, a family of stoners together and we share joints, we share things. And, and COVID's really exposed kind of how much at risk we are to, um, communicative diseases when we're, we're sharing. And I just had COVID two weeks ago and it was from sharing a joint. So 
I know that there's a lot of people that have, uh, you know, kind of shared that sentiment and it's, it's really starting, uh, to kind of come through on, on what we do and, uh, kind of, uh, with, with forward thinking, I'm, I'm glad we were, we're doing it early. Yeah. That it, it, even thinking about that, like you thinking about sanitation in 2014, 15, when it comes to cannabis, like nobody's thinking that, you know, like I was just expressing to you right before we started, like I'm a blunt smoker, you know, and just since COVID I've moved to like, I don't share, I don't hit if someone else, I, I don't want anything that anyone else rolled up. And if I pass it to you, I don't want it back, you know? And so I, therefore I usually don't end up passing it, but you know, for the longest time, that wasn't the case, you know, multiple people threw down on a blunt, whoever was the best roller rolled it up. If, you know, you and I were going together, maybe we'd each roll one and we'd match. And like, you know, especially moving into this backwoods era where people just, you know, just lick the shit out of it. There's a lot of saliva in the process of sealing the wrap, then let alone everyone individually putting it in your mouth. And I've always described it. It's like this unspoken thing that like nobody talked about and nobody wanted to think about, you know, and, and once backwoods got popular, there was this you know, the anti-backwood smokers like, you really want to put that in your mouth after someone licked it? You're like, look, bro, we don't talk about that. We don't think about that. We know in the back of our mind it's there. But since COVID's came out, I personally have been like, yeah, I'm not really about this. And I think maybe not everyone, but it's definitely become more of a, a popular talking point over these last two years. Yeah. And I think people are going to continue sharing. It's not going anywhere. But as far as, um, you know, being a company that's responsible for the safety of someone or having an establishment that's responsible for the safety of patrons and the experience, um, I think it, it it is our responsibility as operators to at least acknowledge it. Um, going back to your blunt conversation, I've had people ask us to do blunt bars. And the only way we can really do blunt bars is using a blunt adhesive with gloves and um if you are okay with your guest waiting a really long time for us to properly <laughs> roll a blunt um, using a brand new technique that includes no licking at all or uh, a little more finger dexterity, we can do it. It's just not recommended due to the time that it takes to, to do that. So, um, you know, with the, with the price of cannabis falling now too in a lot of these states as legalization rolls on, I think sharing will become less and less um popular, but I do think that we'll find different ways uh, to to share the experience together, not necessarily the actual product. Absolutely. And, and you know, a big part of your journey, what I've looked at it from afar is getting this, uh, getting acclimated to the industry in Colorado, obviously the first state I'm from Washington. So I always say, you know, you guys just beat us slightly to the Real punch close. having adult, adult use, you know, just slightly. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, being in the first state that had adult use cannabis and then obviously moving to Las Vegas, which is the epicenter of entertainment um, events. And, you know, I think like a lot of people think it's going to be one of the premier destinations for consumption sounds which, lounges, which we'll get into a little bit later. But I'm just curious what kind of jump started that move and, and around what time you you moved over to the, the Vegas market? Yeah, so I've been doing the private parties, events and weddings with weed for a long time now, but I've always wanted... Um, to get into the, the, I don't want to say the legal side, but you know, when we do private parties, it's still gray area. There mm -hmm. are no catering licenses. We don't have a way of, of track and trace on any of the products that are there. It's based on 
uh, what the cons the customers bringing us to give out to their party. So uh, we're still technically gray area operators, and I saw my my jump from like gray area to fully legal being lounges in 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 areas where we actually have the ability to have licenses to to operate these uh, establishments. So uh, in Denver, we worked on something called Initiative 300, which would allow us to have basically bring your own lounges that could attach to restaurants and bars and other nightlife. And it was kind of a cool way of, of getting uh, cannabis into these places when we didn't have any way of consuming anywhere because it was illegal. Um, and this was like 2015, 2016, we passed it, but it was so restrictive on zoning and you couldn't really do anything other than bring your own. It, it basically two places opened up and they were so underwhelming that they've kind of gone under and nothing's really happened since. And now, um, you know, Colorado has done a little better with bringing some more uh, hospitality measures forward to, to really make them stand out a little better to, to do it, but it's still slow going in Colorado. So I worked on a lot of this early, early uh, lounge work in Colorado and then decided, you know what, I need to, to go somewhere else that's a little more forward thinking. And the city of Las Vegas at the time in 2017 was drafting their ordinances for lounges. So I was flying back and forth from Denver to Vegas and um, helping them, uh, helping the city at least steer, you know, what needed to be done with those lounges. And originally, man, they were wanting to do uh, beer and wine sales inside of bring your own cannabis consumption lounges. Hmm. And we were having arguments with the the law enforcement on uh, poly consumption or poly substance consumption. So multiple substances at once. And it was a nightmare trying to add alcohol to the mix. And personally, I don't think it needs to be done. Uh, cannabis is fine by itself, but, um, working with uh, Las Vegas showed me that they were actually open-minded to doing stuff different. So I moved out here in the middle of 2017 and uh, we're working on it. We got it passed and the city was ready to start opening up lounges and the state said, ah, hold on, wait a minute. We need to figure out what's actually happening. So the state basically every other year they're allowed to, to pass stuff and they, they shut this all down in like 2018. So we had to wait until 2020 to really get it going. COVID happened. Nobody was talking about consumption lounges. And then in 2021, they finally passed at a state level, um, the current lounge landscape that we have right now, the regulations are not finished, but they're almost done. And they are, in my opinion, the most progressive in the world right now, literally the world. Um, we can do basically anything you want. If you wanted to do an infused steakhouse where you infuse butter, put it over your steak and serve it to somebody with a 10 milligram side of infused butter on a porterhouse, that's possible in Las Vegas. So in the entire state of Nevada, we're going to have the craziest concepts you've ever seen anywhere. Um, we allow smoking, we allow all of the edible offerings, um, independent lounges even. So the small players uh, that don't already have dispensary licenses will be able to sell. So all the lounges you'll be able to purchase in. So that, um, that movement forward propelled me to kind of stick around here because I knew that they were thinking in a, a, a way that made operators um, responsible for creating brand new awesome concepts. And they knew that in order for Las Vegas to really be put on the map, we were going to have to have the the freedom to do what we needed to operationally to make it profitable. Because in my opinion, bring your own lounges. Um, they're cool for the first like one to three years at most of a state legalizing where people don't have any place to smoke it and it's cool and it's fun. Um, but as you know, being in Washington and Colorado, 
weed just becomes another thing. It becomes part <laughs> of a culture, a dispensary. Like the, the by the fifth time you go into it, it's the same experience, and it's not. It does lose its luster after a while. So the the bring your own experience, in my opinion, it's just like having a bar that doesn't sell alcohol. It's not profitable. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I, Las I, Vegas I, is just very forward thinking, and that's why I decided to move here, and I'm glad I did. And that that makes complete sense, and I I, I feel you. The 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 bring your own lounges. There's been a couple in Oregon that have existed, and whenever we've been out there for events, the team will always go there, and I'm always like, uh, we have an Airbnb with a backyard and a barbecue. Like I can, I can I can bring my own weed out to, out to the backyard and smoke there. Why do I need to go to a lounge if we're at the club or we're downtown or whatever? I could just step out and blow a blunt on the street, and nobody bothers me. Why I don't need to go to a lounge and i've always thought that from a business perspective is like so what do you do then you charge three dollars for a soda five dollars for a soda and candy bars and what you know adding up what rent is in some of these cities i just i don't see it as a viable option if you can't sell the product you know i was just in new york at some of the underground clubs and some of them required a minimum purchase and that's super gray area moving to a little bit darker color a little risky (laughs) yeah but it's but i get it that model right like if we're out of club like just like at a bar you can't bring your own alcohol in a bar you have to pay more than it costs elsewhere at the bar but that's a part of the experience and i get that and so I mean, there's ways around it, you know, like, uh, you know, tokage fees, which are the same thing as like corkage fees, right? If you're bringing it in from outside of the establishment you're purchasing from. And it's also like, you know, not being a dick to the people that are providing a business where you're going in, right? Like if you're not, if you're going to go to a lounge and not spend any money, then just don't go to the lounge and stay at Mm -hmm. home. Right. I don't want to sound like that because lounges, I mean, they're, they're, they're there for a reason and we have to have revenue to exist. And the revenues are a lot, a lot more thin than, than people think. Like I know they're still making up the, the rules and regs for uh, the New York market, but New York, if they don't do their hospitality and cannabis lounge uh, regulations properly, that will allow for grand concepts that bring people in for other than just the weed, they're going to have a lot of problems because Mm -hmm. in New York, as you know, you can walk around the streets and smoke anywhere that's legal to smoke cigarettes. You can smoke cannabis. So why would I just not bring a joint, go to a show, have a drink at the show, step outside, smoke, and go right back in with my wristband? So, um, you know, places where cannabis isn't as illegal, even when it's legal, we're gonna we're gonna see a lot of issues with with lounges being limited if they don't do it right. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's, it's a it's a cool thing. It's a it's a tricky subject, but a lot like a lot of things in cannabis, there's some pros and some cons, and a lot of regulatory red tape that we still need to navigate through. Um, sure. You know, I, I want to ask you about one thing. Obviously, I know one of one of one of your press highlights was was being on you know Vice Most Expensivist uh, with Two Chains. Mm-hmm. What what was that experience like, and uh, what how did that 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 opportunity come about for you? So they actually cold emailed me, the producer from the show, and they're like, hey, we're doing like a Vegas special, really cool stuff in Vegas. So I was like, that's awesome. I probably would have honestly never got the opportunity to be on the show had it not had it not been based in Vegas already. So um, full disclosure, this is a lot of stuff that nobody gets. So you're getting some exclusive shit. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I had to come up with a package that was the most expensive bud tending package in the world, right? Like obviously the show's most expensive is I can't go up there and say, Oh, my services are X amount. And then just be like, Oh, cool. That's the same as a bartender. Um, so we came up with a ridiculous, like baller package. We call it the Vegas VIP package. And it included 
the the mansion that you stay at, luxury travel to anywhere else on the strip that you need to go. Um, obviously, cannabis trip or uh, cannabis dispensary trips to get all your product. Um, and we essentially throw a giant banger party for you. And the price that we tagged we had it at was like $25,000 or something. Um, this was all pre-COVID when we were right at the peak of the business, right? The whole two chains thing happened. I was on Vice. I was really getting a ton of press. And then not even a month later, all the shutdowns happened. Mm. So it basically killed all the momentum for this super baller package. We're trying to get it back out, up and running again now. We're, we've been getting some inquiries here and there for it. But it definitely was, it was crazy to like, tell that to the world and see their reaction because there was a lot of people hating. They're like, this kid's like some rich kid just selling oregano to people. This is bullshit. Like, um, you know, people made fun of my height because I'm sure I'm like five, 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 six, two chains is six, five. So yeah, it's like yeah, he's a hooper, huge man. and I'm tiny. So it was, it was cool. So like the comments and stuff were a little crazy on there, the experience after the fact, but like, being there with him in person was really dope. He was a super down to earth, really cool guy. Not like there's some, some, some celebrities are like not fun to be around and they're kind mm -hmm. of, kind of mean. He was not like that at all. And that was the most cameras I've ever seen in my entire life too. They had whole rigs everywhere in front of me. So we got him really stoned. And then, um, that's when I introduced the bellow. Mm -hmm. Um, it's called the Zenco now, but I introduced the bellow for the first time with that company on live television, uh, with two chains. And he really loved that device and he was trying to buy the prototype from me. And I was borrowing the prototype from the company and they're like, you can't give this up. And two chains was like not taking no for an answer. So I had to get the owner to come to the mansion we were at to tell him no, because I couldn't tell him no, <laughs> it was the craziest thing. They just don't like to be told no. So it was, it was fun. We ended up staying there a couple hours after and got everybody on their team, super ripped. Uh, the vice people ended up smoking with us too. So it was a, it was a fun time and it was in, um, I think it was a $31 million mansion on the, uh, North or the uh, West side of town. Man, it's, it's still the craziest thing that I've done as far as, uh, you know, being in a super expensive mansion. We, you know, we've been in a couple that have been, you know, 5 million plus, but never anything like that. The place was designed at to look like a yacht. And it's like, what, why? But you know, some people like that. Yeah, when you're on most expensive, <laughs> too rich for my blood, man. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be there. No, and that's that's interesting, and I appreciate you sharing the insight because it's weird how you know a moment like that can propel you the spotlight, and then along with it comes people thinking one thing or another. And I didn't know that yeah. was right before COVID either, which is man, that's sad. That dude, literally a month, a month before um, it came out, the, the episode premiered in March of that year. And then um, April right. is when the main shutdown started happening. And I had people trying to come from like France to do the package and, oh. you know, uh, Australia, France, um, the UK, like all over the world, really trying to come out. And we had, we were getting it all set up and then COVID happened. And it just, it honestly, COVID tanked the business so bad that, you know, we're, we're still recovering from it, you know, and like a lot of, a lot of companies, we didn't have the luxury of actually selling product that was protected, um, you know, right. under a lot of these ordinances and uh, emergency measures. So um, everything event related, hospitality related sucked for a little while, but it's coming back absolutely absolutely yeah no I, I i understand that was uh you know we 2020 we had uh you know 90 percent of our revenue was rooted in events and we got one event out in march we're flying back to seattle washington was you know we we're case zero or whatever ground zero for COVID in the u.s and the mm -hmm. state shut down right the like two days before we had an event lost the money on the deposit everything and 
thankfully, we were able to pivot. But for I mean, obviously, your your business being rooted in hospitality and events, it's uh, you know, there's no way to pivot around that. You can't do the experience through Zoom. No, I mean, luckily, I was already like looking at um, you know, ways to pivot out of it with the the legal side with lounges and and doing um. I started doing like a lot of dispensary consulting and winning licenses for people. So um, I've been having a pretty good track record of winning licenses in multiple multiple states um, going on at the same time to Illinois. I, I own a couple licenses myself in Illinois. So I, I, I pivoted enough uh, away from the events um, as, as I needed to during COVID to at least stay alive. So it was, it was, uh, it was good, but sucked at the time knowing that one of your businesses is completely falling on its face and there's zero you can do about it. Right, right, yeah, yeah. It was, it's, uh, it was a tough time, but it's, you know, we're we're moving out of that. I want to get back Pass to lounges. Now. I want to get back to lounges in just a second. But one of the other things I really wanted to ask you is, you know, obviously working, you've worked in dispensaries, you know, medical rec, and then these events. What is the difference between bud tending in the store and then at an event? It's obviously a different atmosphere. I'm sure there's a lot of different kind of nuances, but I'm just curious from your perspective, what are the what are the main points that are different between those two experiences? It's a super good question. So when I'm training folks on the difference between uh, retail bud tending and hospitality based bud tending, retail bud tending, <clears throat> there's a um, there's a certain lack of uh, responsibility. Not saying they're not responsible, but when people come into a dispensary to purchase a retail, they are seeing the product, sometimes smelling it, depending on the jurisdiction and then you're selling it to them. And then they walk out your door and you leave, or they leave. You don't really know until they either call you or come back how they enjoyed the product. You don't know how it affected them. And there's really not any responsibility beyond that sale, right? Until they make a problem of it. Whereas hospitality bud tending, you're going through everything with them very intimately product in hand. They're seeing, they're not necessarily buying it unless you're in a lounge. So say for a wedding, um, they, they come up to the cannabis bar. We go over the product with them, um, go through the whole cannabis sommelier spiel, giving them uh, tasting notes, scent notes, really getting them excited about the, the process, taking them on what I call an olfactory adventure, right? So people get excited when you relate cannabis to things that they already know. So if you've got, say, like a tangelope that smells super gassy and has a lot of uh, orange notes in it, you can tell someone, oh, yeah, this smells just like um, stepping on a pile of tangerines while you're pumping gas for your semi. And they'll be like, oh, cool. Yeah, that's dope. Like kind of getting a, a picture of, of what you're telling them it smells like. So it's exciting for them. And I know as stoners right now, when you smell weed every day, it doesn't sound that exciting. But I'm telling you, when you get somebody that's not used to cannabis or seeing it in this capacity or they're being, um, you know, served it they they really get excited about things that you're 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 bringing to them that they have um some type of connection with mm. so um kind of giving them a different experience than in the stores right like i said you you're you're also watching them consume the product in front of you so if something goes wrong you have to know how to act if somebody overconsumes or if um they don't like a product or if God forbid they're drinking and smoking or doing something else and they get violent, we have to know how to uh, treat these scenarios. Whereas in retail, obviously you have to worry about robberies, armed robberies, there's things you have to worry about there. So that's different. But when you sell the product to someone, you're not following them home and ensuring that it's a good experience. So mm -hmm. there is some nuances between the two. 
Yeah, no, that, that makes complete sense. And I also think the the note of people that are in the echo chamber of the the industry, you know, there's the high end consumer and then the uh, those of us that work in the industry that really nerd out about turf profiles and strains. And I think that we tend to not understand we're like in like the 1% of like, you know, being spoiled with understanding and having this palate for cannabis, yep. but we don't understand these things. So I, I totally get what you're saying with, when you're under. I mean, we're in the 1% of the 1% too, dude. Like, um, and, and I always get weird about it. Cause we're always like on the cutting edge of looking for everything and like terpene profiles, making people feel differently. I'm a huge science-based guy. There's a lot of stuff we just don't have science for that. I feel the industry's making up. So we're, like other industries, right? Mm. Um, weed is trying so hard right now to be like wine that we're just, we're making shit up sometimes. I, I really, I really feel that way. Um, we're just, we're making up like certain tasting notes or making things sound better than they are to sell products. And while yes, I, I do believe that the one thing that cannabis does have is it's scent profiles. It's the one way that we can get people excited. Um, you don't really crack open a, a beer and smell it at the store like you could with some dispensaries, right? Mm -hmm. You can smell the product before you purchase it and you know exactly what you're getting. Um, and with tasting rooms coming along too for cannabis, tasting rooms and lounges, people will be able to actually sample product. So it's cool to kind of see had the evolution. I know everybody is like hating on THC percentages, but that THC percentage is just rooted in the same way people have been shopping for alcohol for so long. A lot of people look at the, the percentage of alcohol based on what product they want to buy. Uh, are you going to buy a, a 40 or 80% hard liquor? Or are you going to go with a, you know, four to 8% beer? It's just been ingrained in our culture so long, you know, beer doesn't hit you nearly as hard as alcohol or hard liquor does. Mm -hmm. So we already know those differences, whereas cannabis is so complicated. I think we're just trying to find ways to simplify it for the consumer so much that it's uh it nobody's really found a definitive answer yet i know like candescent tried just renaming strains to 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 give you a feel of how you're feeling but cannabis is so complicated i don't know that um it'll get there and then like the consumer base too a lot of people that consume that buy products they're they're not like us they're not connoisseurs they just want to be high and they don't really necessarily care about what type of high it is or how it tastes it just to some people that I've talked to, they're like, I, I don't know how you're tasting um, mm. cherries or orange peels. I just taste burnt cannabis. So, um, you know, being more education forward and kind of um, helping the public get excited about the smells and the tastes that they have will really, I, I think, help navigate this forward. Yeah, no, I was going to ask that is, is how many people don't whether it's the underdeveloped palate or just don't necessarily care. Cause my, my wife is not a big consumer and I'm always doing that. I'll get really mm -hmm. good weed that I think, you know, I mean, anyone that smokes weed will be like, these are just completely different flavor profiles. It's on, on the nose. Right. And I'll tell my mm -hmm. wife, like, what's this smell like? She'll be like weed. I'll be like, what's this one smell like? I don't know. Weed. And I'm like, do they smell different? She's like, I mean, maybe. And I'm like, how does this not smell different? <laughs> you? Right. Yeah. And, and like wine for me, when I go to, um, I'm not a big wine drinker. So when I go out and people want to get wine, like I just tell them I want a sweet wine. They bring me a sweet wine and it still tastes like shit. And mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, this isn't sweet. And then there's other ones that I have that I like, but I don't know how to articulate it because I don't know enough about wine. Mm -hmm. But um, even just menus, them telling me what the tasting notes are saying, there's like notes of apricot, like sometimes in wine, I can't 
I can't smell any of it. I don't know any of it. I can't taste any of it. And I don't have a developed palate for it. So I think that as the markets start to mature, people will start to care about that. But there's also going to be the brands that people are literally only budget conscious. They just want to be high for the lowest amount of money possible. So we'll start to see those kind of breaks in branding. I always find it kind of funny, like luxury cannabis brands, like what's actually making luxury cannabis? Is it the way that it's grown? Is it how it's packaged? A lot of it is just how it's packaged, mm -hmm. but um, there's there, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack. And like you said, we're in the 1% of the 1% thinking about these things and the consumer necessarily doesn't care um, a lot of the times I've noticed. Um, they're just excited to have it, especially in states that are brand new. Right. And and so upon, you know, these other things of walking people down that line and relating to, to you know, thing, making the elements of cannabis relatable in other th ways that people might not understand if they're not that heavy of cannabis consumers. What are some of the other components that make someone a, a good bud tender? So obviously it would be um, personal, like, you know, being personable. And when I hire people, I look for things that you can't necessarily teach, right? You can teach people about the science of terpenes, the science of cannabis, um, what to look for when people are too uh, drunk or high, um, diffusing situations, soft skills like that can be taught. There's certain things that certain people possess as far as personality types, how they act, how they explain things that's it, sometimes they just have it. So um, sometimes I think people are just born to be that way and they're natural service folks. Um, but as far as it goes, man, just really digging in, knowing your products, knowing what you're selling or serving to someone and staying on top of everything and really making it an experience that, like I said, people can relate to. So finding ways of like pulling out um, something that someone likes, whether it be a hobby based on a shirt or a, a hat that they're wearing and relating whatever they're consuming to that activity even can really go a long way. So there are kind of some, you know, psychological things you can learn, but I think uh, being a good bud tender, really a lot of it, I would say 80% comes down to just being really, really good with people. Um, you can learn product knowledge. It's just being really good with people mm -hmm. and staying on top of what is cutting edge in the industry because every other day we have a new gummy that is fast acting in five minutes and it's nano emulsified or they use something that goes past nano emulsification. Like I, it's even hard for me to keep up with it sometimes, you know? Yeah, no, I, I can, I can a hundred percent associate with that. Um, you know, and, and back to these lounges, I know you said you're, you've been working with Las Vegas. What, what are some of the things that you have, uh, kind of cooking up in, in that realm? So I've been working on obviously getting these regulations, correct. We're working on, um, you know, obviously giving public comment every single time we can to kind of steer <clears throat> operationally what we can do. Originally the, the regulations didn't have anything about health or sanitation or needing to actually clean, uh, things properly and the training was still kind of super minimal and we pushed to have more strict training and more strict cleaning practices for the lounges and to also have an open model to allow us to actually infuse food like a real kitchen would um, you know we're not there, there's things that the state's not even thinking about that we've brought up to them that you know it's not the state's fault most people aren't thinking about this mm -hmm. what happens when you have an infusion kitchen and you also sell non-infused food and um, 
utensils and tools and pans become cross-contaminated with cannabis and you serve someone cannabis that doesn't want to be served a cannabis uh, meal. So things like that, um, basically setting up two opposite kitchens, one with infusion ingredients and one without infusion ingredients and how that runs and the synergy between the two and making sure people get the right thing. So um, we've been really active on trying to, to make sure that that goes through. But beyond that, we're working with a few clients out here to um, get their concepts up and going since we do have a lot of wiggle room and availability to make concepts. The sky's the limit. So um, whether it be large MSOs or just kind of small mom and pop shops, we've been uh, assisting with that. And it's been it's been a cool experience. Um, working with that you know we've we've done lounges now in michigan so there's one that's going to be opening up i can't say what one but it's opening up soon in uh, western michigan um illinois california and now nevada so it's uh it's fun it's interesting everything's kind of flying at a mile or you know a, a thousand miles a second but it's also like we want it now we need it now everybody's you know super impatient but it's also taking you know they said regs were going to be out two months ago and it's now approaching you know when lounges were supposed to be open so it's coming along right and it's interesting you thought about that you know the cross-contamination of cooking those things that i didn't even think about um yeah and we you touched on it earlier i think one of the things in my mind that sticks out is that the cross faded, right? Drink alcohol and cannabis is someone that's thrown a lot of events, both inside of cannabis, outside of cannabis, and some that kind of cross both waters. Uh, you know, I, I'd say for the general public, it's not a good idea to cross them. For myself and most of the people I hang out with, we're always smoking. So even if we're drinking, we're still smoking. So it's, it's some average, it's regular. But for the inexperienced cannabis consumer, you know, mixing alcohol and cannabis is like, is not the move you know a lot of potential uh issues can come about from that is that something that you've kind of witnessed or experienced and, and seen any any kind of event organization or organizers have to kind of learn the hard way so i mean based on the number of people that i've served um my company has served roughly seventy thousand people nationwide at the time that we've been serving cannabis so um you know in the mid uh you know like 2016 2017 we were doing a ton of events every single week with thousands of people. So the only time we've ever seen issues with anybody needing to go on an ambulance or, you know, like falling out over passing out fully has been from super hot, high potency dabs and doing way too many of them. That was only one time that I saw that, but the only time ever that we saw any problems at any events was when alcohol was introduced to the mix. And it was usually from, you could you could tell the exact moment when people were starting to get really drunk and then they would add cannabis on top of it and it would uh it would kind of ex exacerbate the situation so the only time we've really seen issues out of all the people that we've served has been when multiple substances are involved and it's just a known thing there's facts out there that you know you you do have a lot of issues when you introduce multiple substances like that and uh we we know that we know what to look for as servers now and you know we're we're, we're trying to prevent that but vegas is going to be uh, it's going to be a really big test bed for what the lounges can do um operationally and what we can do because uh essentially for for safety reasons too right we've got 42 million tourists that come through every single year and 
somebody from let's say Arkansas where cannabis isn't as popular, they come out, um, they want to try cannabis for the first time, but they've been at the pool all day. They didn't drink any mm -hmm. water. They also took a, um, a different illicit drug before they walked in and we didn't know. Um, there's a lot of things that we're going to need to be looking at, thinking about and observing as servers to prevent, um, any issues. And luckily in this state, they had enough foresight to write into the bill that if you're serving cannabis to someone that is over the age of 21 and they're not visibly impaired to the point to where you can't serve them, the, the business and the person serving cannot be held liable. Mm -hmm. So we have protections built into our lounges that no other state does. I've never seen that anywhere else. So we're actually protected here, but we still do have a duty and a responsibility to make sure that people are having a safe and fun time, especially in Vegas. Cause people just go wild out here, right? Yeah. They come out to Vegas. That's just it. Movies have been made about it. Hangovers, all the, all mm -hmm. the, all the comedies we love, but that's our everyday life here. Um, people pass out. Like we have IV clinics everywhere to people mm -hmm. can get IVs if they, if they get too fucked up. So, um, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting, interesting look at things and, I think we have enough experience to at least uh, try to mitigate 90% of what we see, but there will be issues. There yeah. will be growing pains and, and we'll, we'll see that, especially with the alcohol culture that we have in this city. And so if I'm, if I'm hearing one of your previous statements, correct over, over 70,000 consumers served cannabis and yep. you'd say with just cannabis without alcohol, you really only have one incident that comes to mind. That was a, I had one one pass out that was like actually alarming and it was the guy was taken I'm not even joking it was like red hot probably 800 degree dabs back to back to back to back like trying to do as many grams as he could and then he just passed out I think from not having enough oxygen in his head would be my guess but um that was really the only pass out that we've ever seen um I've seen people getting like carried out but like I said that was the that that spot had there was basically an underground music venue that we were contracted to serve cannabis at that was free with membership. And they had free alcohol on one side, free weed on another side, unlimited. Oh. So people were doing as much as they could. And even then, um, we only had a couple of incidences there, but we just really had to watch. And luckily it was me that was the one serving because if it was anybody else, they wouldn't cut anybody off, right? Like, mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of, a lot of operators that just aren't responsible. So in, in that situation, dude, even then, um, we only really saw issues when the alcohol was introduced. Cause we did a few in that same spot with only weed. And those were super chill, like dubstep events, never any issues. You start introducing alcohol into it. That's when you start having, um, you know, some of the, the crossfade issues where people are needing to be carried out or they get aggressive. So it's, yeah, I've, I've literally never seen any type of, I've, I've seen like one heated argument at a weed event out there that was like held exclusively as a weed event. Um, I know that you've seen some of the fights and stuff that happened at BizCon, right? Even just last year at like a strip club, there's fights, but yeah. there's also alcohol there. So you, you, you just, you find the culprit, man. Anytime you see alcohol anywhere, there's fights happening. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I've talked about this quite a, quite a bit of times, you know, as someone that's thrown, you know, over probably over a hundred event, events now, it's like, Again, some with just cannabis, some with both, some with, you know, I'll say traditional events that just have a bar, you know, mm -hmm. with cannabis, I, we've never had a single issue. We've had one time where someone felt, you know, an inexperienced person took 
two or three dabs and fell over and like that was it you know maybe scraped up their elbow because they 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 Mm -hmm. lost their legs for a second but that's the only thing I, i used to dj at a small college bar and i mean every fucking night you know multiple people you know no cannabis just alcohol fights someone's bloodied up Mm -hmm. leaving the cops are coming the fucking urinal in the men's bathroom got ripped off the wall i don't even know how many times and (laughs) you don't even i don't even know what possesses someone's mind to think like let me kick this or rip this off the wall (laughs) but with alcohol it's just always a shit show of just property destruction fights you know horror stories with with, you know with women and what they have to go through with men that have drank too much but at cannabis events, it's nothing. And you see all of this bad, bad stigma and so many people are scared of lounges. And I've just always encouraged people, go to an event with no alcohol and cannabis and try and spot one thing. And then just go to any bar, any club with over 75 people and spend five minutes there. And you will, do, you know, it's, it's, it's a night and day difference. But somehow, you know, the general public is so scared of cannabis, but alcohol is just normalized. Yeah, I think if we can do it right and and show people that it's okay um, and really prove to the world that it can happen, um, you know, we're in a very unique position to be able to do that. And I will say with a caveat, though, one big caveat for me, we have not seen cannabis lounges operating in this capacity yet. Mm. Um, There's some in West Hollywood that have operated like this, some in the Netherlands. The Netherlands has a whole different, like, they have a whole different culture there that does it. That's not even conducive to any type of violence for the most part anyway. So like lounges in America are going to have a way different feel. And I still do think that there will be problems that pop up because of lounges. Because when you get people in a communal setting and they're on whatever drug it is, could be cannabis, could be anything else. There will be problems that do pop up. It's just inevitable when you have that many people have such a large sample size. So it's just, how much is the media going to blow up any potential problems that are going to come up and how do we as an industry mitigate them and make our um, processes, procedures and operations as ironclad as possible to, to make people as safe as possible to make sure that we're being held to the highest standards still. So I think with that caveat, right, uh, there, there will be things that, that pop up. Um, we haven't really seen lounges mm-hmm. in the general public in this capacity and going back to talking about being in the 1% of the 1%, a lot of the events we throw are industry related where people are smoking constantly. They know what to do. They know how to feel. They know what they're feeling. Um, when you get, um, a a very anxious teenage or sorry, very anxious, uh, college age kid that comes into a, uh, uh, a lounge and they smoke the wrong thing and they start having an anxiety or panic attack, um, and start freaking out at the table. I mean, those are things that we're going to have, we're going to see with the the general public coming through. So we just have to watch it and pay attention and, and move forward as the best we can. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of important, but by and large, you're you're right though. Alcohol is 95% the issue. It's a, someone was saying it the other day, alcohol is like an accelerator, you know, no matter what the mood or the emotion is, it accelerates it. Cannabis doesn't necessarily have that same impact uh, as a substance. I mean, have you thought about this too? There's some some of the events I've been to, people don't really like dance to cannabis. If you've ever been to like a high energy concert or show and people are stoned, they kind of just stand there and watch the show and enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. I've always had this like fantasy of having a, a cannabis dance club and like really mimicking bottle service and stuff out here. But I'm low-key afraid that it's actually not gonna work. Yeah. I 
Yeah, I feel like the Cirque du Soleil with smoking would be a little more popular. Yeah, I mean, like things like, um, you know, analog style games like um, outdoor chess or like giant chess pieces or like putt-putt golf, things like that that require some type of motor skill or watching a movie or watching a performer. Those things work really well, but like high energy EDM dancing when you're stoned, we, I don't know. We just, we also don't know what concepts are going to work either. So a lot of these businesses are such a huge risk right now. Well, you know, Vegas, I'm sure will be ground zero. Like you said for, for sure, not, not just the regulations, but I mean, you look at Vegas is an entertainment city. So I'm sure any, any way cannabis can be infused, you know, literally and figuratively into events or social settings. I'm sure Vegas, we're, we're, we're going to see Vegas try and set an example. For sure. Um, what, what else do you have on the, on the, on the docket for, uh, 2022? Man, I, like I said earlier, I've been working on a lot of, um, regulatory stuff, getting people licenses. We just won 14 or 15. I, last time I knew it was about four, 14 licenses in South Dakota for clients, uh, <clears throat> working very heavily in New York right now, waiting on those regulations to come through. Uh, I partnered up with a law firm to start doing applications in the state of New York. So New York City is gonna be absolutely bonkers. That market's gonna be just just crazy, crazy. Um, if they do their hospitality right, it could, in my opinion, rival Vegas or California. So it's definitely gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna beat out Illinois. It's gonna rival California. So th those are gonna be huge. I've been doing some more work in um, New Jersey. So, Essentially anything retail or hospitality related, if it's related to cannabis, um, I'm there and I'm, I'm helping get these businesses set up to succeed. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think, I think we're going to see probably Vegas and New York be those top two social settings for cannabis in the country for sure. I mean, I think that's a safe bet. It just makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So anyone out there looking for more information, top shelf dash budtending.com. You got anything else, anywhere else you want to plug or, or, uh, Instagram or contact information. Yeah. Top shelf budtending.com. Uh, and then we also have top shelf budtending on Instagram. I'm very active on there. I'll answer everything. I run the account myself. So um, you won't get uh, anybody from corporate or anything crazy like that. It's me. So uh, LinkedIn is another good um, another good source as well. I've been using that a lot lately. So uh, Andrew Muir, M-I-E-U-R-E is my name. And uh, go ahead and connect with me. I'm, I'm here to talk everything cannabis and I'll talk your ear off. So if you want uh, any services, anything like that, we can uh, we can definitely help you out if you're looking at getting lounges going or if you're trying to get into retail with uh, licensing. We uh, we do a hell of a job and we would uh, love to see what we can do for you. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today, Andrew. Really appreciate it, man. Look mm -hmm. forward to seeing events get back into full swing and, and uh, excited to check out some of the stuff that you're working on, man. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'm sure this won't be the last time I see you all at an event. Most certainly, man. All right, people. We'll see you later. RMR Podcast, episode 37.